Welcome to episode 244 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we pay tribute to Paul Green. We discuss Cameron Serraldo, the new Bulldogs coach, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to episode 244 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Well, Dr. T, I'm doing well. Uh, a good week in the NRL, some, uh, yeah, some results that sort of, I think, uh, brighten up the competition again. Um, but also some very, very sad news in the world of rugby league and the rugby league community, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, but overall, I'm doing well. How about yourself, Dr. T? Yeah, not too bad. I think uh, I think you're right. Look, we we this there is a bit of a somber occasion that we need to kind of uh, commemorate today. This is about Paul Green and the tragic news that came out earlier in the week uh, uh, around... Um, Paul Green's sudden death. Initially, it was reported as a sudden death, and then we realised after a day or two that um, that there was suicide involved. And so, uh, mm. you know, the, to say that the NRL world is in mourning and shock is an understatement because I think a lot of people are trying to process all of it. And so we are going to, uh, uh, in, in one of our tackles coming up, we're going to talk quite in depth about... Paul Green, we're going to commemorate his life and his contribution to rugby league, and uh, obviously we're going to talk about what what impact uh, this death is is going to have on on the game and and what this means for us in terms of tackling some of the issues, uh, mental health issues that this raises. So, um, you know, while it's been a good week in rugby league and and the, the rugby league world carries on, there is a there is definitely a dark cloud over the NRL and in rugby league in general this week from this week on and how we deal with this uh, will, will be very uh, important. So um, having said that, though, uh, we do have a lot to get through as well. We've got other things to talk about, but let's let's get on with our tackles and then we'll get on to our Paul Green uh, tribute as well. So let's start with tackle number one, where we review the last round of the NRL. Here we go. All right, so uh, round 22 of the NRL saw some uh, quite big upsets and some, uh, you know, re- reforming of uh, the top eight spots uh, and, and quite a bit to talk about. So let's go through all the um, all the results from the last round. Melbourne stormed 16-0 over a depleted Penrith Panthers at Bluebet Stadium in front of a healthy 15,000 crowd. New Zealand Warriors, 42-18 to 18 over the Canterbury Banks and Bulldogs and Mount Smart Stadium uh, in front of 16,000 or so fans. Parramatta 
demolished 26-0 at the hands of the South Sydney Rabbitohs at home at Combank Stadium on the Friday night game. And that was in front of a very healthy 22,000 uh, or so disappointed Eels fans. Um, the Roosters back into top eight contention, 32-18 over the Queen, North Queensland Cowboys at the Sydney Cricket Ground in front of uh, a healthy 15,000 crowd. West Tigers demolished at the hands of the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks, 36-12 to at Scully Park, which uh, – where was that? It was at uh, – Tamworth, I think it was. Tamworth, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think a crowd was posted, but I think all of Tamworth was was there at the game in, yeah. from what I saw on the TV. Uh, the Broncos, 28-10 to 10 over the Newcastle Knights in front of 25,000 at Suncorp Stadium. The Raiders, 24-22 to 22 over St. George Illawarra Dragons at Giro Stadium in front of 11,000 or so. And finally, the Titans, 44-24 to 24 over the Manly Warringah Seagulls. Big upset there, uh, effectively ending Manly's uh, top eight hopes, I believe, uh, uh, in front of 11,000 or so fans. And uh, and I believe that's it for round 22. Look, for me, you know, we usually go through the highlights and lowlights. No doubt the lowlights are, you know, big surprise here, guys. 26-0, the Eels couldn't even put a point on against South Sydney. That, to me, was probably one of the most disappointing aspects mm. of this is that uh, uh, we just – look, it was a disgusting performance as an Eels fan. Uh, you know, in the past, when I've when I've been critical of the Eels, some of my, my Eels fan uh, brethren – and sistren, <laughs> I don't know what the word is for for females, have uh, come to the defence of of the uh, of the players and and staff and and uh, and say, oh, you know, look, they give their they give their all, they give a hundred percent. It just doesn't feel that way sometimes when you when you see what gets dished up. Uh, as an eels fan, a long suffering eels fan, it's uh, I'm particularly sensitive to occasions when we beat the top contending teams and then the following week we uh we capitulate we show no no innovation in attack we show no heart in defense we make dumb plays dumb decisions and then end up not even being able to score a point you can't tell me <laughs> that that is not disappointing as an eels fan um now south sydney to be fair uh, on a bit of a purple patch at the moment. And and a lot of people are saying this South Sydney team could do, you know, the Latrell Mitchell has been, his influence since coming back from uh, from injury uh, is akin to, and has been compared to the the famous Jared Hayne run for the Eels in 2009 when, when they basically came from nowhere, um, scraped into the eight and demolished everyone in front of them until they got to the grand final against the Cheetahs Melbourne Storm, uh, which at the time we didn't know, but but uh, they, we did immediately after they won the grand final. Uh, and they almost looked at and it was a fairly tight grand final up until, well, close to the end anyway. So um, South Sydney, are they on a grand final run? I think that's the other kind of talking point is, mm. uh, is it's not just the eels being perpetually inconsistent and what do we do about it? But it's, it is more about the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Are they on such a purple patch 
that uh, it, in many ways it excuses the Eels' poor performance. I'm not sure. That's a question. And the other thing really is the Roosters. I mean, I predicted the Roosters to be out of the top eight. I still think there is a chance that the Canberra Raiders um, win all their games and the Roosters drop a couple of games from here on in. But they certainly are making that prediction of mine a bit shaky because they they really put it to the uh, the number two team North Queensland Cowboys uh, at home having said that though in my defense uh, for for that particular scoreline let's not forget that the Cowboys uh, you know they played this um, game a day or so after learning of Paul Green's passing and so they would have been out of any team the most in shock. Uh, about what happened. And so I don't know how much that plays into the mentality of, of the Cowboys and and what and at least the shock of that game. Maybe it affected that game. Anyway, so that's my view of uh, the, the big talking points in round 22. Tish, what are your big talking points? Well, I think for me, actually the result at Bluebit Stadium to see uh, the Storm um, pull off a 16-0 victory over the Panthers. Now, I know the Panthers are depleted with injuries. I think Dylan Edwards uh, as well wasn't playing. So they, they were down on troops. Um, but just to see, uh, yeah, the Panthers, I think, is this, uh, yeah, obviously they lost to Parramatta not that long ago. Now they lose to the Storm. That's three games now they've lost all season. Still a fantastic result. But towards the back end of the season, uh, go. Yeah, a bit of a shaky effort for them, but I think it also has renewed a little bit of a competitiveness that, hey, you know what, Parramatta have beat them every time they've played them this year and uh, most times last year, right? So you've got a contender, if they could get their act together and get into the top four, it's going to make it competitive. But you also have the Melbourne Storm that, you know what, like even, um, you know, even with their best players back, if Penrith are, are not able to... You know, if, if they don't find form, like they'll have to play their best to sort of beat the Storm too. So it just gives that contendership up. And uh, I know the Panthers have got to play the Cowboys before they end the season too. And I think they've got to play a few other teams that are going to be in the top four. And I also think South Sydney, um, you're right, like they're, they're having a bit of a run, aren't they? And, um, and you know, this result on the ladder, I mean, it gets them, it gets them actually above the Eels into fifth spot. So getting into the top four for the Rabbitohs is definitely a possibility. You know, it's it's there mathematically for them. Um, I just did a quick experiment, uh, Dr. T. What I've done is I've, I've gone into the NRL, the ladder predictor, and I've just selected for the last three rounds every team uh, based on where they are currently on the ladder um, just to see how it would play out based on the favourites. You know what I mean? Like based on, you know, so... When I've done that, it actually puts the Eels in fifth spot uh, and puts the Cowboys in fourth, fourth spot as well, which is kind of interesting too. But it just goes to show that Parramatta, like, that was a real crucial game over the weekend. I mean, if, uh, you know, like, you know, they've got a bit of a... I know they've got the Bulldogs this week, but they're not. that's not going to be easy. They do still need to play the Storm before the end of the season again, right? So... They've got a couple of tough games in there too. And to be honest, the Bulldogs game is probably the one that you're probably most concerned about, right? Because <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So they've got, to, they've got to play the Broncos as well. So Broncos. So, uh, well, they could Bulldogs, lose all three at this Broncos, rate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they might only win one out of three, right? So I think that's the... 
I think that's kind of the crazy, crazy thing that the that the board uh, that the uh, Paramount did. and that look. The truth is, they need results to go their way too, right? That's the other the big thing with them. Um, they'll need results to go their way because their four and against is not as great as some of the other teams that are in the top four as well. Um, and yeah, so they'll need other teams to lose to other teams, but it is in their hands. You know, three if they could take three victories, they could get themselves to thirty four points, and then. And then they've just got to make, like, you know, just got to, you know, hope for some upsets, you know. For example, maybe uh, in round uh, 24, the Warriors can beat the Panthers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that <laughs> you will You never help. know. You never know. Yeah. The Roosters Rangers. might beat the Storm, for example, like something like that, you know, to, to, to edge them into the top eight or something. So, uh, but then, he, then you're going to hope for the Sharks and the Cowboys and, you know, you're gonna to have to have a round where they kind of all lose, right? So it, it just makes it difficult. So yeah, right. so well done, Parramatta. They've look put it this way: if they win this year, it, 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 like yeah. Anyway, well, let's not get too too ahead of ourselves. I, I suppess, <laughs> no, no, that's probably, it's that's not probably... a Parramatta thing. But look, I think yeah, the Roosters and the Rabbitohs are building, and I think to me, mm. I think that's actually looking good then for the opening. Uh, you know that that final mm. matchup, that final round, Roosters v, v Rabbitohs, the uh, the the rivalry, the biggest, the greatest rivalry according to Russell Crowe. Yeah. Uh, opening that new is it the Allianz Stadium? Stadium? Um, that would be the new Sydney Football Stadium. That would be spectacular. The way they're both going, it's it seems like the winner <laughs> will either go into the top four. Or get knocked out of the eight, <laughs> so it's mm. it's literally that uh, high stakes, and so that will be very very interesting. Um, any final word before we move on to the next tackle, there, Tish? Yeah, not at the moment. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to tackle number two, and we're going to do a bit of an in depth uh, tribute to Paul Green. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So as I said earlier, the uh, the news came through last week um, of uh, shock news of Paul Green, age forty nine, former State of Origin player and coach, the man who led North Queensland to their first NRL premiership, uh, suddenly died. Uh, it was not known what the cause was, but we then found out that it was a result of suicide and. Uh, and that has led to, um, you know, a lot of soul searching amongst people in rugby league and and the rugby league community. Uh, a lot of you know awareness and attention being drawn to mental men's mental health issues. What you know, and so we'll, we'll get into that. But what what we're going to do is just go through some of the, you know, who was Paul Green, uh, the man, the the state of origin, and NRL legend. Uh, he achieved so much. He was known as being one of the toughest competitors in the game. Uh, he became a, you know, when he was playing and as his coaching style, even though he looked like a kind of laid back kind of Queensland, uh, you know, knockabout bloke, he was definitely uh, tough as nails and really competitive. And that, that's what he was known as. Um, 
And, you know, and, and given also he was a bit, you know, he's in the shorter, probably not as short as Alan Langer, but short on the short scale, short end of the scale, I think that that also added to the uh, the competitiveness. We seem to have a lot of tiny competitors in the game, people like Jeff Tuvey and 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 Tommy Radonikus and players like that that, that have really been characters that really brought a lot of strength to the game uh, through their competitiveness and determination. Um he uh, he won the Rothmans Medal, which has since become uh, known as the De- or related to the Dalian Medal. While he played for the Sharks in 1995, so he was, um, you know, another thing is he played for quite a few um, NRL teams. Primarily, he was known for being a Sharks player. In fact, just before a weekend ago, I think before uh, he passed away. Uh, I think it was Cronulla Sharks great Andrew Eddingshausen organised a bit of a Cronulla ex-players reunion of sorts. I I remember seeing on uh, social media some photos and I believe Paul Green was there as well. And, uh, you know, he was was known as very much a... um, uh, the life of the party and just a great bloke to have a beer with. So, you know, he achieved a lot in the game as one of the great um, great halfbacks uh, of his era. Um, he made his first grade debut, in fact, with Cronulla in 94. So a year after his debut, he won the Rothmans medal for best player in the game. Uh, a few years after that, he earned his first Maroons and Kangaroos jersey in 1997. He then left the Sharks in 1998 and went to play for the Cowboys under Tim Sheens. Um, in 2001, he then moved to the Sydney Roosters and was part of Ricky Stewart's squad, which won the 2002 NRL Premiership. So, um, you know, even though he didn't taste Premiership success as a player at either the Cronulla Sharks or the North Queensland Cowboys, he definitely did as soon as he got to the Roosters. And with, with that kind of pedigree behind him uh, obviously he contributed a lot and was the 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 linchpin really of the Stuart, Ricky Stewart squad that won the premiership that year um he then went and spent a year with the eels in uh 2003 uh so straight for whatever reason straight after that uh premiership he went to the eels and uh then ended ended up in 2004 at the broncos so for whatever reason uh, you know, he uh, he basically had three teams within the space of four years he spent some time with. He then retired, having played 162 first-grade games, seven appearances for Queensland, and also represented Australia on two occasions. And, you know, having finished his career at Brisbane, Wayne Bennett obviously saw um, a lot of potential in Paul Green as a coach and immediately handed him a job working with the Brisbane Broncos halves and hookers. Uh, and given that was, uh, you know, his, his kind of expertise. Um, and he held that role between 2005 and 2008 before he was promoted in 2009 to Broncos assistant coach. Um, in 2010, he then took a, a bit of a gamble. He left the Broncos and actually obviously pursued uh, an opportunity in a uh, head coaching role. And his first head coaching role uh, was was with Wynnum Manley, the Broncos feeder side, 
And Wyndham Manly is obviously in the Queensland Cup, so that's kind of a, the the level below NRL. And uh, and and yeah, so he in uh, in an interview in the Korea Mail in 2014, he stated that uh, at the time his wife his wife and and he had a little girl born in 2009. It was a big decision, but he felt that it was the best way for him to work out whether coaching would be a career that he wanted to do and whether he was any good at it. So that's why he made that decision to, you know, leap into the head coaching kind of sphere at Wyndham Manly. Um, and and so, yeah, it looks like he had some success uh, immediately, really. He basically he delivered back-to-back premierships for the Seagulls, as they were known, in 2011 and 2012. So straight away, I think the the gamble paid off and and he realized you know i've got something here I'm, I'm pretty good at this um that then led him to being promoted uh to uh assistant coach at trent robinson's roosters team in 2013 and uh Surprise, surprise, they went on to win the premiership that season. Are you sensing a pattern here, everyone? Everywhere Paul Green has gone, there's, uh, or especially later in his career and then as a coach, there's been success that has followed him. And it's not a surprise mm-hmm. that that almost to a person since his passing, there have been just as many comments about what a good bloke he is or he was as, as compared to... Uh, how competitive and and successful he was, uh, and and like just reading some of the, the 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 little points around his career and and hearing about this story, you can sense as well that everywhere he went there was some sort of success, um, and so obviously having delivered two. Uh, Two premierships at Winner Manly, then moving on to NRL as assistant coach, helping the Roosters to win the 2013 premiership. Uh, the Cowboys then uh, came a knocking and signed him on as their head coach in the 2014 season. So, you know, not even a year back in <laughs> into the um, in, into the NRL premiership as as a as a coaching member of a coaching staff, and he's already been given a head coaching role with the Cowboys. Obviously, a, a, a team that he had played with previously, and had obviously uh, had had lots of fans there uh, in in the club. So that was a good deal. In his first season, Green guided North Queensland to a semi final, which they lost thirty one to thirty to the Roosters. So. Uh, you know, this is the team that was the reigning premiers, and he almost beat them in a semi-final uh, in, at a different club. I mean, that's again not to be sneezed at. That is amazing, amazing kind of performance. And yes, North Queensland were building, but the, with the guidance of Paul Green as coach, obviously the success behind him and his expertise uh, got them there. And then the following season. What do you think happened? The Cowboys <laughs> won the premiership in what I I would call uh, one of the greatest, well, not the greatest grand finals, but one of the greatest finishes to a grand final that you will ever see. It was absolutely insane, that that insane one against Brisbane. Um, unbelievable grand final. Um, and Paul Green, again, their coach, their saviour, brings them their first ever premiership, and it's their only one thus far. Um, they then uh, backed up their title success in 2015. Uh, uh, is that right? 20, am I reading this right? 2015 
uh, with a uh, preliminary final berth in 2016. Uh, and then in 2017, they then uh, got back into the grand final, uh, although despite finishing eighth on the ladder. Mm. Um, then, unfortunately, and I think that was that against the Roosters again, or was that the Storm, I believe? I think it was the Storm, yeah. The Storm, sorry. The Storm was a 2017 one. And, and, and that then, was the Haynesque run by, I think, one of their plays as well, right? It was like um, maybe Jonathan Thurston or somebody like that. They just came out of nowhere to like just dominate, right, the final That's series. right. They finished eighth on the ladder. I believe that was really the year that Tamalolo and uh, – Michael Morgan stepped up mm. uh, in in place of uh, Thurston not being there, um, and and yes, you're right. I think that uh, that that to me, in, or in many ways, a lot of people talk about that year as almost a better success than than the year that mm. they won the premiership, given what they had to overcome to even get there. So again, that that has all the hallmarks of Paul Green's determination written all over that team. Uh, unbelievable, and I think. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, the last three seasons that he had with uh, the the club before he uh, was uh, departed or was sacked in 2020, he had a pretty poor uh, win-loss record, had a 52% win record there, uh, which is a bit disappointing. However, in 2021, he was named the Queensland coach for the 2021 series. Uh, unfortunately, they lost that series 2-1, and then he decided to step down from the role, which is a bit disappointing because I thought, given his um, success at NRL level, I think he would have been an ideal coach going forward. And to be honest, last year, you know, they got demolished, the Queenslanders, in one of uh, one of the games uh, at least with a record score, and probably that didn't do him any favours. However, let's not forget that this year, uh, Billy Slater's winning Queensland uh, origin team also got demolished in game two. Uh, not not with a, an equally high score, but uh, again, um, just a shame that he got, uh, he, had, he felt he had to step down or, or whatever the situation was. Now, when you look at it, just in summary, when you look at his career, you think, wow, what what a series of achievements, what an indelible mark he has made on several clubs and uh, and has been the kind of uh, coach, at least in the coaching ranks, that where he has really brought them, those clubs, a lot of success. Um, and for, on a personal perspective, he is survived by his wife, Amanda, and two children, Emerson and Jed, and our sincere condolences on behalf of uh, everyone here at the Rugby mm. League Republic go to his family and his friends who uh, are left to deal with, uh, you know, questions, you know, what could they have done better, what what was going on in his mind, uh, you know, what, why, 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 why you would be asking in that situation, and we really do feel for people in that situation, especially his family and, and close friends. Um, Tish, uh, yeah, look, a long and illustrious career in in the playing sphere, but also in coaching and especially in coaching here. It achieved so much. And and I guess, yeah, the question, the question arises for us as rugby league fans and, and just, you know, w- why did he do this? What what could have led to this? Uh, 
you know, what are your initial thoughts, Tish, on uh, on Paul Green, the man, the the player, the coach, what his contribution was to rugby league, and also, um, and I guess we'll start with that, and then we'll talk about the fallout yeah. and and what what this means for us. But let's just focus. I, I want to get your thoughts on yeah. Paul Green. Like, what are your what are your uh, yeah raw emotions and thoughts on this? Well, look, um, I suppose when I saw the news, um, it was on the phone. I think I like I saw it on my mobile phone as I was uh, waiting for uh, waiting for the coffee to be made, my afternoon coffee, right at work, right, and then uh, and then I I thought like uh, it was it was like shock, it, like it was definitely a shock, right, um, of of what had gone, and I was just um, I think somebody even asked me, hey, what's wrong, like you know, because it was a big like you know sort of moment for me, and um, my immediate thing was like, wow, like because he's a player for me that I'm pretty sure I remember his first game in '94, and uh, I remember, you know, his his whole career pretty much. Like, I, I kind of knew him from the start. Like, he's not like a player that where, you know, he started his career before I was born or he started his career while I was really young and I couldn't see it, right? But Paul Green, for me, is a guy that I remember everything about his career pretty much, like, in terms of where he played. And I just remember that when he was at Cronulla, like, when he first started off, he was the young, budding halfback who had all the talent, and, um, you know, he was like an exciting player to, to sort of uh, note for the first few years. And also, uh, I remember he was like a prized footy card as well. Like, oh, did he get the Paul Green card? Because he was, you know, like a rookie sort of sensation a little bit. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was like um, setting the world on fire initially, but he was definitely like a sought-after character. And then, obviously, you know, uh, as the Sharks... You know, he sort of, the Sharks had obviously a few players, but, you know, he was kind of that main breed of players along with Matt Rogers and Andrew Eddinghouse and everything. Where they had some success in the early 90s, I took him to the Super League Grand Final. Um, and he was, as you said, the Rothmans medal winner. I do remember him winning something uh, like that uh, early on in his career. And then, yeah, as you talked about the premiership success at the Bronx, at the uh, Roosters, I do recall the towards the end of his career though it's kind of like the the way the game had changed sort of thing um he was sort of less effective and i just remember peter Stelling talking about how you know his his plays had become a bit more predictable but i think that sort of happens to quite a number of plays like i think even this year you can say the same thing about uh Tom Trevojevic, you know, he wasn't as effective as what he was in previous years because people kind of catch on a little bit on how to defend. Um, but I think all that sort of setback in a career, that what that's what put him on good stead for his coaching career. And, you know, his coaching career, yes, look, I, I do remember a lot of pressure on Paul Green. And sometimes you could see the pressure in all those press conferences, particularly when the Cowboys started going downhill. But I think people kind of quickly forgot the fact that you know, he was able to get them to the grand final uh, and, and actually win their first grand final, which is a huge achievement, which can never be done again. Um, you know, and, and it was Paul Green who did that, right? He took, you know, players that had potential like Jonathan Thurston, um, you know, and sort of turned them into premiership winners, right? You know, like at the Cowboys. Like, I think that's kind of a, a really big achievement if you think about it. There's a great story that I've heard over the past um, week or so um, by John Cartwright, you know, who was the Titans coach and, you know, he was kind of let go in t- 2014 
And uh, he said that only a few weeks later, he got a call from Paul Green and he said, look, I know that you've just gone through that, but, you know, I would love to have you up here as an assistant coach, right? And, you know, John Cartwright well, was like, well, you know, I just I just gave up the Titans and didn't know how it was. But And then he goes, all right, well, you take the summer and then, um, you know, I'll call you back in in January after you've had some, you know, time away from the game. And, uh, you know, John Cartwright said he did. He called him back and he just said, you know, like, um, you know, I want you up here. I, I see you've got potential. And then John Cartwright drove up there with with just, you know, he, his car. This is how he tells the story, you know, just with his car. And then it ended up being where, um, you know, they took him in. Like his family took him in. Like Paul Green's family took him in in the first few weeks to get him settled and everything. And then, you know, just gave a, a player, you know, a, a coach who, you know, had a hard time at the Titans, probably questioned his coaching ability, and was able to sort of get him into the fold. And I think Paul Green, like, you know, if you hear a story like that, you kind of it kind of sums up, you know, what a what a great guy Paul Green was, you know, like, you know, the ability to do that. Um, you know, before we did the show today, I went and watched a, a short little interview that Paul Green had uh, during the Sharks. Uh, I think you were talking about this before with, you know, the Sharks um, old boys reunion that they did, a, you know, I think it was last you know, a couple of weeks ago, the Andrew Ennehausen and, yep. you know, Paul Green looked, I mean, that interview, he, there was nothing cryptic about it, right? It was just, you know, very excited and great to see the boys and, you know, and he was just, he seemed pretty good. So yeah, the mental health and, and the suicide aspect of it is, it is, I'd say it's still something that a lot of people don't understand, but I think, uh, I think as a player and a coach, um, you know, he he achieved all all that he could achieve, really, and I think that's a, that that pays tribute. And I think he was, you know, despite maybe you know towards the end of the career being a, a veteran player, not really playing that many NRL games, I'm pretty sure that he had a really good impact on some of the players that were sort of coming up in those clubs. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm it's I'm still in shock just trying to think of the words to say even now yeah. because it, when you know just having listened to you talk about quite rightly as as I mentioned the ET uh, organized that Cronulla Sharks reunion and he seemed happy and and you know you, you just can't help but think uh you know even if he hadn't achieved all those things that we said in the game uh he seemed happy and he seemed that seemed that things were going well. And, and the thing is you don't really know what's going on behind closed doors and in people's minds. And I think that's the issue with mental health is that people, um, you know, we've got this thing uh, for those of you not in Australia, there's a, uh, there's a famous uh, kind of, uh, what would you call it? A campaign that runs every year called, are you okay day where Mm. people are encouraged to, you know, talk to each other, and this especially is targeted at men, really, to to just sort of check in on each other. You know, are you okay today? Is there something wrong? Talk to a trusted friend. If something's not right, talk about it. Um, but the idea of just checking in with someone because you just don't know what they're going through, um, that, that came to mind quite a lot this week, reflecting on Paul Green and how we as a society uh, – you know, men as men, we don't necessarily talk to each other about things that are going on in our heads and and mm. what's on our mind. 
and that that something like a an are you okay kind of campaign just encourages people to break down the barriers and just sort of talk to someone and just say hey are you okay uh, simple as that you know um and and i think and and then i reflected as well on uh some of the other comments that i've seen in in suggestions that i've seen in social media and in the media people saying we should definitely have a mental health round in the nrl to draw attention to this as an issue so i've been hearing all of that and thinking yep i agree I've also been hearing uh, others say, look, whether you know it or not, the NRL has actually done a lot of work in the mental health space. You know, it's already got some campaigns. It's already got awareness raising activities. Could it do more? Yeah. But the issue is not, are there any, like, were, were, are, are the campaigns working Is is has been the question. You know, uh, is it enough to just draw attention to mental health? What can we do about it? What actions can we actually take? And I think that's what what I've heard in the conversations has been, um, we know mental health is an issue for men in, in Australia. We know that mental health is an issue for men probably in most Western countries or worldwide. Um, we know that it's an issue in in the, the kind of masculinized, you know, macho kind of... Uh, uh, you know, rugby league fraternity, and and you know the, you, you man up. You know you 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 kind of don't talk about. It. We just went through a few weeks ago a big discussion about uh, with through Pride Round or, or through not Pride Round Women in League Round, but the Manly Pride jersey situation. You had a lot of discussions there from an LGBTQ community. You know how do people who have different way of life uh you know how do they feel uh in a masculinized environment you know um so all of this seems to be really rearing its head this year in terms of you know this is way more than just focusing on the road home to the finals. We've got lots of things to discuss mm. as, as a as a as a rugby league family. Let, let's let's put it that way. We've got a lot of things to discuss, and these are things yeah. that society is grappling with. And and I guess as we you know, obviously we've we're talking now more more generally about mental health. You know, the the questions have come up around well, you know what what were the were there any signs could yeah. anyone have seen the signs that there was something not right with paul green there was uh there was some talk uh, i think you mentioned it as well but others have mentioned it in the media uh that people have been saying things like yeah he seemed a bit uh down recently with uh what happened last year in state of origin he was disappointed he's an ultra competitor so he would have been disappointed that he couldn't continue as Queensland coach. He would have been disappointed that he was out of rugby league head coaching circles since uh, since he got uh, he parted ways with the Cowboys a couple of years ago. Um, he, that would have been disappointing to him. I think the comment was made that you know he was just grappling with how how to live without rugby league as his central thing. And that, wow. that raised that raised something to me. So I thought I'll, I'll, I'll make a comment and I'll, I'll hand it to you, Tish, to see what you think about it. 
is that you know and we're not here to sort of say here, let's analyze uh you know in depth in a scientific way what are the precursors to suicide and what can we do as a society but just i just want to raise a point and see what you think about it that you know one of the things that persistently comes up is you know people don't necessarily like don't necessarily uh take this drastic action because they're sad although sadness is part of it it seems to me that a lot of what one thing that's a critical factor here is that when people don't have something, when something is kind of so central to their life and it gets taken away for whatever reason, they sense they lose a sense of meaning in and mm. purpose. And mm. I think that to me is one of the key things. And for and this is especially an issue for rugby league. If you think about full time rugby league players, what's their fallback option? You know, mm. a very sh- small minority have other training or other degrees in education, in educated degrees in other things where they can then move to something else. You know, you have some successes, people who go into business and whatever after their playing days are done. But generally speaking, you compare this to, you know, the generation of rugby league players when we grew up, when we were young, Tish, uh, or when I was young, definitely, um, where it was about part-time, you know, the part-time players and and they've got a job <laughs> they've got a job as whatever a, a publican or a, a a builder or something in on the side and then rugby league was something that they also did and and they earned money from that as well then it became rugby league as a full-time thing this was in like i guess the 80s and 90s i guess especially the 90s with super league um now you've got a situation here, and I think this is a critical thing. So I'll put it to you: What role do you think uh, it, it plays to a rugby league player in particular, and maybe coach as well, to their uh, livelihood and happiness, and and it, when everything that they've lived for, rugby league, is taken away from them for whatever reason, they've lost a job, or uh, you know, got sacked in in difficult circumstances from from a, a team, you know, which happens a lot. We talk about the rugby league coaching circus, the merry-go-round. Yeah. You know, coaches. We're forgetting that these are real people who have devoted a hundred percent of their lives to trying to get a top-grade team some level of success. Then all of a sudden, they get sacked because of poor performances. What does that mean for them? You know, what do they do with their spare time? Are they do they just completely go from 100, 100% to nothing? Uh, or do they find other hobbies or things to get themselves back on the on the, on the the wagon? And so that's, that's something I want to put to you, Tish, that it seems like it wasn't that he was unhappy. It was more that he was potentially frustrated and yeah. just had lost a sense of purpose because the thing that he loved de- dearest in terms of his uh, – professional career had been taken away from him and he just didn't know where to go and and maybe that had a part to play i don't want to talk specifically about paul but Mm. my question to you is what role do you think that plays in mental health in general in in rugby league given the full-time kind of uh nature of of players these days yeah well look i'll go back to the story that john cartwright had said because 
John Wright was in that situation that Paul Green found himself in, right? Yeah. Where, and you know, he sort of said he needed time away away from his game, and you know, I think John Wright, like you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he did talk about questioning himself and his ability, and you know, all the mistakes and stuff like that. And I'm sure those thoughts keep occupying people's minds once they try and quit rugby league, and then it's um. You know, unless you've got something else that you can go and do, and and to be fair, Doctor Taylor, uh, I think it's it could be anything. It doesn't have to be anything too spectacular as well. But just as you know, you just don't want to be sitting alone with those thoughts all the time, and let those things sort of grow. And I think with Paul Green, yeah, it's it could be that thing. And you know, we've had so many coaches sacked in the NRL this year. We've had so much spe- speculation, and he's one of the names that keep coming out over and over again, right? Um, plus the Lost with yeah Queensland. So look, I don't know if it's. I mean, obviously there's other circumstances we don't know. We can, we're only speculating what it is. No, that's right. Not not talking about him specifically, but yeah, just in general, yeah, yeah. So so mental health awareness is one thing. Mental health, like how to cope and courses and all that stuff, is is really good. But I think, as you said, the sense of purpose I think is is a major factor here. And I think um, pathways out, like just as you've got junior development pathways into the NRL, but I think you also need to have that pathway system to outside the NRL. Um, and I think that's going to be really important. I think the league should really look at that because they can't all become commentators. They can't all become coaches. Um, they can't all become water boys like Alfie Langer, right? <laughs> um, you know, he's been doing it for a long time, but you know, in many ways he gets to still run around, do what he loves and, you know, to, for the, team that he loves and doesn't have the pressure of coaching so maybe it's not a bad option as well um you know if you you think about what alan langer does right so but they can't all do that every week you know you got to find other things for them to do and um you know um and i think doing more like i think um getting that community aspect back to rugby league i think is really important you know um there was a situation with kalen pong i know we're not going to talk about it now but i just felt that you know if he's going to go for a drink while his team is is playing why doesn't he do it at the newcastle leagues club and they and newcastle can do a a bit of a promotion on it like you know come and watch come and watch the game with newcastle uh you know play a kalen pong or whatever you know but you know now you're thinking about these retired players Hey, come and watch! Uh, yeah, come and watch a Cowboys game with Cowboys coach Paul Green. You know what I mean? Or come and watch a Brisbane game with, you know, Paul. Like you know, so at the leagues club, maybe, um, maybe the leagues clubs can get in and maybe do a bit more to try and keep these guys involved. Yeah, that's a great in, idea. Yeah. In in the sport, and then you know, um, you know, obviously there are, you know, there's 17 spon- Like every player's got their own sponsor, right? <laughs> Right, so yeah. so yeah, like, so it's not as if uh, rugby league clubs are not well connected. It's not like PVL is not well connected, you know. Um, you know, so, so I think doing all that stuff is great, you know. Um, and yeah, and I think uh, like a uh, yeah, so so I think it's good. Rugby league players association. I think we probably could think about them as well, like how they could um, help uh, transition people out of rugby league. Um, and you know, find 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 careers. I, I think just find something meaningful. You know what I mean? And um, and as I said, it doesn't have to be um like the best job in the world. It can just be driving a bus or uh, you know, be the lollipop man or whatever. But just something that is 
occupying their time that because rugby league is what it's a full-time job it's hours and hours of training you're constantly watching videos it's it consumes your life it's a big part of your life that you got to take out right so yeah if, if we could find other things that they could do i think it'd be great but um but still can this I, is, uh, yeah can i no there's, there's some great ideas can i suggest that in what i think you're saying which i kind of agree and and more broadly it's it's an issue with the more successful clubs do this better than others i find and that is the word connection and i think if you if you've got players that have you know literally bled for a club for, mm. for many games and then all of a sudden they retire and then they've forgotten about and maybe once in a while if you are really successful they'll trot you out if your teammates the grand final or you know maybe but i get the feeling that they're that a lot of people a lot of players feel like they're on the scrap heap uh, you know, mm. that, that no one really cares about them. There, there's a lack of connection, basically. And to me, if that's reflected in just the rugby league players' experience, that to me is also the underlying issue of mental health as well. And what what I think a campaign like an Are You OK Day or mm. other campaigns are trying to strive to overcome, which is the lack of connection between people. Uh, you know, people put barriers up, psychological barriers up. They don't want to talk about things. They want to, she'll be right, mate. In fact, that's that's something that Jonathan Thurston, who has shown his vulnerability uh, in, you know, publicly recently with, with the news of Paul Green's death, who's just basically said himself he's quite shocked and he just feels like there's, there's a, you know, we need to do more. Uh, we need to connect to each other more. He's been saying things like that. So he's, he's sort of saying the same kind of thing that, mm. that we just need to be doing more to, uh, uh, yeah, to, to basically uh, to be more action oriented and, and to break down those barriers. And, and he actually, I think he used the phrase, you know, she'll be right. The she'll be right mate attitude is not just, is we've just got to get over that. It's not, it's uh, it won't cut it anymore. Uh, yeah. And I agree. And I think if you're going to, you know, to simplify everything that we've been saying, I think it is all about whatever ideas your people will talk about in terms of how to address mental health issues, specifically in the rugby league player context is uh, it is about one overcoming those, uh, those, uh, expectations that you know people will just shrug things off and man up and she'll be right mate and we've just got to really open up to the possibility that it's okay as blokes to talk to each other yeah. to share some of your concerns about what's going on in your life with with someone who you can trust uh and 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 if there's no one you can trust to seek professional help because that's what they're there for is they can be a trusted advisor who who won't you you might feel they won't judge you because they don't know you a lot of these players come from small towns where everyone knows everyone and that can be really uh mm. you know uh, suffocating in a way yeah and so there's so much that can be done and i think to have players like jonathan thurston one of the greats of the game come out and say she'll be right mate is not going to work anymore we've got to do something different I think I'm expecting to see, uh, and no doubt we'll report it here on the podcast, some really great things from the NRL 
who mm. players really coming together and coming up with things that, in my mind, it's going to change the society that we live in, not just the rugby league family. I think whatever the NRL does can take the lead on this, um, you know, and, and and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens because I think there's uh, – someone mentioned that uh, this – the Paul Green's death, in a way, is kind of like a line in the sand. We've got to do something now. This is—it's now claimed one of our greatest, one of our greatest players, uh, and 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 someone who's achieved a lot of success. And if we don't do something now about it, we'll, you know, we have to draw that line in the sand and say, no, enough is enough. Let's do something mm. constructive. Um, so yeah, look, uh, that's. Look, that's my my final thoughts on Paul Green and the impact of of his passing. Uh, again, I just wanted to say, you know, sincere condolences to his wife and children and and f- close family and friends. Uh, extremely sad situation uh, when mm-hmm. someone who seemed to have it all and to be happy and be surrounded by a good social network uh, was clearly struggling inside. And uh, let's hope that we can do more as a society, but also as a rugby league family um, to help each other and help all players and coaches and anyone who's involved in the game and is uh, struggling for whatever reason to just know that there's someone around the corner that can help and, uh, and let's, let's work out a solution to this. Um, Tish, uh, any final thoughts before we move on? Yeah, I think you've uh, summed it up beautifully, Dr. T. Um, but, yeah, once again, we just like to uh, – yeah, we're thinking of you, Paul Green's family, and everybody associated with it. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, and I hope that, yeah, uh, as you said, I'm, you know, we're quite confident that the NRL is uh, going to talk about mental health a lot more and have more initiatives, which is, uh, a, you know, a, a silver lining coming out of this tragedy. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to our next tackle. Uh, we're going to talk about Cameron Seraldo. Here we go. Tackle number three. All right. So the world's worst kept secret in the world of rugby league uh, mm. <laughs> has finally been revealed. Cameron Seraldo has been signed as uh, the new Bulldogs coach from 2023, Can- Canterbury Bulldogs. He is currently assistant coach at Penrith and is one of a, li- a long line of Penrith assistant coaches that have uh, have been recruited to be head coaches somewhere in the NRL and he's the next in line. I think Trent Barrett was the, uh, the last one as well, but there have been others as well. Clearly, whatever they're doing in Penrith, whatever's in the water in the Academy of Assistant Coaches Mm. is working because these guys are in hot demand. Um, And, uh, you know, ironically, like when we talked about who could possibly be Bulldogs coach, I believe we even talked about Paul Green as a possible coach looking for a team. And I, we thought at the time, or I thought that he would have been a good fit, but for whatever reason, uh, Cameron Seraldo has come from the clouds. He has got Phil Gould's interest mm. as as director of operations there, and he signed on, but he signed on for five years, which uh, a lot of people have been saying, well, that's a long time, a long-term deal. Um, 
Now, Tish, first of all, what do you think about this news? Do you think he will uh, be successful? What does he bring to the Bulldogs? Over to you. Well, look, firstly, I think, uh, yeah, so congratulations for uh, Cameron Sorrell there. I think he's been a uh, an assistant coach for a long time, and um, he's had great success at the Panthers as an assistant coach. He is, I believe, currently, I could be wrong here, the Italian national coach as well. Um, oh, is he so, really? I didn't know. Yeah, that. so so not not necessarily. Uh, well, he was in 2016, so um, according to Wikipedia. So so um, I'll yeah, probably so, know so, more. Yeah, no. Yeah, but you know, obviously, you know, uh, Phil Gould did see you know his 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 ability for the Italians to beat Russia and to beat <laughs> Lebanon. And he's like, we've got to sign this guy, you know. He's he's going to change it all around and, uh, <laughs> you, you know, sort of thing. But, look, I, I think, look, at the end of the day, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like, I mean, but obviously you could tell, like, you know, he was part of the, the Penrith system, the system that sort of, um, you know, had Cleary to begin with, fired Cleary, brought in Griffin, and then back to Cleary. But then I think Serrano was there for that whole tenure, right? And now Phil Gould's mo- moved over, and I think he wants to start something very similar to where – where it was, um, you know, uh, what Penrith has done, uh, try, trying to sort of, you know, replicate that success, uh, but in the Bulldogs type of way sort of thing. So, yeah, look, I think it's been great. Um, I suppose at what point did this all happen? Like was that whole Tigers, uh, you know, around the facility thing necessary? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, I have a feeling that it was kind of like, uh, set, um, but the but yeah, but the person I'm thinking about at the moment is Mick Potter. I mean, he's a bloke who who was the rookie coach long time ago, and he's been in in like you know the doldrums. You know what I mean? He's been he's been out in the rugby league desert, you know, just waiting for an opportunity. Gets an opportunity, and you know what? Turns around the Bulldogs. You know. Um, you know they've they've completely changed the way they play, right? Immediate Through success, the, immediate. Yeah, yeah. And and now back to the scrap heap, back to the desert for Mick Potter. It's it, it like, whew, you know, it's a tough blow. I feel for Mick. So hopefully he gets to stay somehow. You know what I mean? Um, but so then normally, you know, normally Tish win. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I'm just wondering how can he stay? Like, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, they yeah. they have Mick Potter in, and then you know. Uh, you know, Cameron Serraldo is doing the team talk and, you know, Mick Potter's there in the background. Well, you know, second-guessing everything. It might not be the best scenario as well, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Because, you know, you've been given an opportunity. You show immediate value and success and then they opt for someone else anyway. <laughs> So you're kind of wondering, what's the deal there and why would mm. you even bother? Um, so I wonder now whether, you know, now the timing of this news is interesting because I wonder whether now, you know, if you're Mick Potter or the rest of the team, you might you might be thinking, what's the point? Like, what what do you have to play for if you're a Bulldogs player or coach? From now until the end of the year, if you're a player, you know you're playing. It's just about doing your best, and you're playing for pride. 
But if you're the coach of in this scenario where Mick, in place of Mick Potter, why would you would you go that extra mile, that extra step, mm. do that extra video uh, video review, do that extra training session? Why would you bother knowing that you're not going to have that job anyway? You're not playing for anything really. Mm. You might be playing for pride, but what's the point of that? Like, at the end mm. of the day, the Bulldogs could lose every single game from now on for the rest of the season. Yeah. It makes no material difference. Cameron Sorrell yep. is coming in next year. So I wonder whether this completely derails the Bulldogs' mentality and especially from Mick Potter's perspective for the rest of the season because there mm. really is nothing at all to play for. They're not going to win a trophy by winning every game from now on. There's no tournament to, to aim for. There's no – that's it. There's nothing. Mm. And so I – I do think that, like, why did they have to announce it now? <laughs> you mm. know, why, why now? Why not just wait until the season is over? Let Mick Potter run, let, let him run the season, run its course. Okay. Even if, you know, knowing that he probably wasn't, you know, even if the people who had decided, yeah, we're going to go with Cameron Serrado, but we're not going to tell anyone. Uh, or do you think they're doing it so that Cameron Serrado can have his final few weeks of uh, of glory with the Penrith Panthers? I mean, maybe. Yeah, I think so too. I, yeah, because yeah, like, you know, there's three weeks left for the regular season. There's probably another four weeks left for the Panthers to get to the grand final. So, so we're talking about seven weeks before Cameron uh, is now a Bulldog, right? And then, you know, obviously there might be celebrations or, commers- you know, yeah, maybe taking a bit of a break. So maybe about another month. So you're probably three months away uh, for it. Uh, meanwhile, for Big Potter, he's only got three weeks left, right? So, um, you know, start preparing the handover documents, uh, you know, for Cameron, uh, you know, refine any sort of keys, any locker rooms, uh, fix up anything, you know, pack up his staff, you know, make sure that, the you know, the the water bills are taken care of. And any sort of you know pot plants that you need, um, you know the, the you know the, those services. I'd say that you know there's plot there's plenty of stuff that I think Big Potter can sort of arrange in the next three weeks to make Cameron Serraldo's um, you know uh, sort of tenure begin with everything in place. You know, um, and, I, and I think I think I think uh, I think Mick Potter's a man to do it. Like you know he he's sort of shown it, but. Do feel sorry for me because I think I think he was showing some great promise. So and yeah, yeah, you're right. The timing is a bit funny. I think the other thing that is also a bit interesting is that I mean the Bulldogs are sitting in at sixth or well, twelfth position. The Warriors have got a new coach next year. The Tigers have got a new setup next year. But it also leaves the Knights and Titans who are sticking by their men uh, for the moment. But they're sitting lower than the Bulldogs. I'm just wondering whether. Perhaps there was a better coaching option that may be available because Newcastle definitely had to have a good roster. And I think Titans, uh, oh, I mean, both these teams were actually in the final series last year, right? So, mm. um, you know, and he's and he's chosen the club that's kind of been wooden spooners and then shown a bit of promise this year. So it's interesting how those, those two uh, jobs will sort of end up going as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's another coach out there, which we don't want to talk too much about, but I think there has been a, a, uh, a sort of, a you know, 
a few fans out there of the Parramatta Eels that don't believe Brad Arthur is the right man long-term as well, right, to get them to a premiership. So um, interesting if 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 that job became available and now Cameron Savarado has locked himself in to the Bulldogs, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I've heard that Michael Maguire is possibly being shopped around and could be a, a good option for the Eels. But this is not about the Eels. But I'm, I'm just sort of wondering, <laughs> I'm just sort of wondering, Tish, is there another club that Mick Potter could benefit, could add value to? Okay. That is potentially, you know, struggling, potentially not, uh, you know, I don't know, potentially like looking for or maybe looking for another coach. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Red V. Uh, uh, yeah, because he is a former Red V That's player, right? right? And, and I wonder whether that is probably a better fit, like a, a Dragons team with a Mick Potter style, you know, mentality. And you saw the success that, that he's managed to get for them this year. Mm. Um, is he the person to lead them and rebuild that club? Because they're, they're kind of not going anywhere at the moment with Griffin there. Uh, and, and there are, you know, plenty of other issues going on in that team. But I wonder whether a Mick Potter would probably, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, I mean, um, maybe when uh, he was a Western Reds player, he came out of retirement to play for the Western Reds. That's right. Uh, well if done. you recall. Yes. So yes. <laughs> just wondering whether he could be part of the Western Bears. Um, wow. Didn't think of that, but that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. Did he was he a union player before as well? Like I feel like the if he no, was, maybe I, the Wallabies might need him. But anyway, that's, oh that's no, weird. no, no! I think they've got. Well, actually, just on that news, did you hear the, about Michael Checker's uh, <laughs> coach coaching of the Argentina Pumas mm, union beating the Wallabies, right? Beating the Wallabies yeah. in a record uh, sort of event. Look, and just goes to show that when it comes to coaching the coaching ranks. Um, you know, often it is about just finding the right fit and, and when things come together, they come together very well. So that's why I kind of think, as I said, even though we're talking about Cameron Serrado, it is kind of disappointing at the way Mick Potter uh, was treated uh, and and I hope that he certainly finds a role that best suits him. And I, I do think, I, you know, that the Dragons are in need of a coach and he has just proven himself in in a you know what harm could come to the dragons if they just let him go for a year or two uh and just say go for it do your best with the team that's there um see how you go and i think that's probably uh he would do well in that but anyway that is mm. cameron serraldo five years you know there's a tendency to lock in these uh these coaches for a long time and i think while a lot of people are saying why do this you know we know the reality is that contracts are broken very regularly you know we know that we <laughs> so it's not like as if he will be there for five years i think mm. the idea is if you want to give someone some stability and a a pathway you you lock them in for a long-term deal that makes total sense but obviously there are performance factors there and if you don't yeah. perform then you're gone and i think that's what happens and and so 
I, I'm okay with long-term deals in some situations. I don't think it's ridiculous. I know we just literally talked about this a few weeks ago with the Benji mm. Marshall situation. I think the difference there is it's a five-term, five-year deal that he's uh, having with the Tigers, but the first two years are of him being an apprentice to an understudy, mm. and then he's going to take over. So to me, that's a even a better. Yeah, better structured approach than just a straight out, you know. Although having said that, I mean Cameron Serraldo, he's got the runs on the board in terms of assistant coaching, so it's it's a bit different to Benji, who's never coached even yeah. under eights team. So, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's what happens when you join the army, right? You you first two years of study and apprenticeship, and then three years of war. Right, so like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's the same if you're a plumber as well. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Because you got to learn like, the ropes, and then you get to get in, get stuck into the toilets, and clean, clean them out, and do what you need to do. And I think that's uh yeah. Look, good on him. Uh, congratulations mm. to Cameron. I think, like I said, mm. worst kept secret. We all knew this was coming from a mile yeah. away. Uh, and it's finally done. That means that hopefully the coaching roulette. Uh, yeah. will, will uh, the cards will fall for the other teams as well. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I think the long-term contract, I agree with you, I think the long-term contract thing is a bit sort of blown out of proportion. I mean, what do you expect these uh, coaches to sort of go under like a commission-only structure? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like you want to give them a bit of certainty because there's so much pressure in this job, right? So, um, and, and look, these type of contracts are sort of, broken not just in the nrl world but also in the corporate world too right you know uh ceos major share companies you know doing crazy things and then and then being let go and you know it just sort of happens they find a a job somebody else people pay them out it it sort of happens all the time i mean we even have a saga of a prime minister at the moment who's sworn himself into other jobs like that he should have been doing right so uh (laughs) Yeah, so I, I don't just think a shame it's... that the the sharks aren't looking for a coach, are they? Maybe Scomo <laughs> could uh, put his <laughs> yeah. hand up for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, all right, let's let's move on to the <laughs> since we're talking politics, let's continue the conversation. Uh, tackle number four. We're going to talk about the NRL Grand Final fiasco. Here we go. The Peter Volandis versus Dom Perite matchup continues. Uh, there is growing frustration that the NRL Grand Final hosting call may be delayed again, with Brisbane actually now up to a 60% chance of getting the rights to the 2022 NRL Grand Final. Um, not going to go into the details. We've heard it all before. This is all about the promise that the New South Wales government was going to put funding into the smaller stadiums as part of its suburban ground kind of revamping strategy. Um, The New South Wales government has reneged on that agreement. Uh, I don't know how much of it was actually a signed legal agreement or just a series of promises, but regardless, uh, it is very publicly stated now that the New South Wales government has uh, decided not to go in that direction and instead uh, channel the funds to flood recovery given the sort of you know three lots of once in a lifetime <laughs> floods that Sydney has had to deal with and New South Wales had to deal with this year um, 
from a PR perspective, the NRL is looking like uh, it's not winning that war and people are thinking, you know, the logic behind the money being diverted to flood response and and etc and compensation for victims is uh is a winner in terms of the eyes of the public and the nrl the more this drags on the more it will look like a uh a, a rich kid whinging about you know haggling over uh, over a the price of uh of a, a chocolate or something <laughs> the price of something at a uh at a you know at a fair or at a at a stall you know it's just not right the nro is a billion dollar business and it's it's kind of haggling with the government and in many ways people are thinking that they're um uh they're not right to do so and uh and look so that's that's just the context for those who forgot what this is all about and uh, i think the longer this drags on the worse it is and tish look to make things easier, I think if we just stick with our rugby league republic's position on this, on on who should host the NRL Grand Final, I think this will make Peter Volandis's life a lot easier, and he should just make the call straight away to just uh, to make it easier, just move it to Brisbane this year, and not only that, let's start a, a travelling NRL Grand Final uh, carnival. Where just like in the NFL, host cities bid for the opportunity to host the NRL Grand Final. We know it's going to bring in lots of money in terms of tourism and and interest in the host city. It's going to bring a carnival atmosphere. If we do it right, it will become a Grand Final event rather than just a one game and one and done. I think there's an opportunity to make this a vehicle for expansion and a vehicle for um you know broader appeal in the game so tish that that is i think what we need to be telling pvl what is your view on this uh to resolve this situation yeah look i I absolutely agree obviously i don't think um it makes sense you know people talk about tradition of a sydney grand final right um and then, and then you got to really go. Okay, well, in 1908, where was the actual grand final played? It was played at the Sydney Showgrounds. It wasn't played at the Olympic Stadium, <laughs> right? So, so like we've already changed it, right? You know, so you know, if you're a real traditionalist, you'd go. You know what? Let's 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 go back to the showground. So it, it it it's changed, and you know, when the cricket ground was ready, it went to the cricket ground. When the Sydney football stadium was ready, it went to the Sydney football stadium, Olympic thing. Suncorp has been a great stadium. Um, hosted last year's grand final. I didn't see anything wrong with it. I think we just need to continue on doing it. And look, and I think it is something that should be um, bidded for and hosted for, particularly if we want to turn our game into a, an actual national rugby league, um, you know, tournament. And I think also like, you know, the, um, you know, at the end of the day, sport, like I think, um, you know, like people get the whole like sort of ashes tradition and maybe like the Melbourne Cup at this sort of thing. But I don't think I don't think rugby league is necessarily tied down to that. I think rugby league is a game of people. So it sort of should follow where people are sort of going. And I think that from that point of view, I think that's where the traditions of the game should lie. Um, 
so yeah, and then look, I think I, th- I think you're right, and I think with the whole situation, look, I, I do think obviously after what happened like out a couple of weeks ago to a rugby union game, not even a rugby league game, but but a rugby union June, like you know uh, what's it what's a schoolboys game that had fifteen thousand people there having the Leichhardt um, Stadium almost potentially uh, you know sort of uh, you know there was a, a gate that crashed and it was pretty awful scenes on TV. I think that Brookvale and what was the other one that I think needed a revamp that didn't get it, like uh, they pulled the funding on. I think there was one more um, stadium. But look, maybe Campbelltown, yeah. So these three stadiums, I mean, they they do need to be fixed and they do need to become safe. So let's hope that that can eventually happen. Um, And we're willing to do PVL needs to do. With the government, I mean, that could just work in the background. But I think as far as the grand final itself goes, look, I was against the idea of locking it into Sydney for like so many years anyway. So I, I don't think, I think to be to be fair, I think this part of the development is actually a good thing because I think we do need to, we need to get it out of Sydney as much as possible, if anything, just so that we could, you know, not have this idea that we're tied to a particular place for the grand final. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Awesome. Well, yeah, I agree, 100%. Let's send an email to PVL Stat. All right, let's move on to tackle number <laughs> five. Here we go. That was the, that was the wrong one, wasn't it, Dr. T? That's all good. Awesome. Tackle number five. <laughs> all right, tackle number five. Here we go. Look. This is about the NRL Rich 100. Um, no, it's not It's not 100 uh, players named Richard. Uh, it is about the richest 100 players in the NRL. And uh, so the new – what's? What, well, you tell me, Tish. What is, what is this all about? Mm. What's the news and uh, where does this come from? Okay, so Phil Buzz Rothfield, uh, one of the oh, yep. great journalists – Sort of, depending on your opinion, right? He is, uh, he is, uh, I don't know how he's got this information. Gone to a forensic accountant, uh, gone to all the player managers, and he's come up with the top 100 rich list. So the contracts of the NRL players, who gets paid the most, and he's gone through the rich list, which uh, obviously he get from the newspaper and the newspaper clippings. Um, we'll, obviously, there's a lot of names to go through, but... You know, some of the talk is like, you know, like I'll read out the top ten and then and then you could we could sort of see what a lot of this article is about, right? So number ten is Mitchell Moses on nine fifty, then Luke Brooks and number nine at nine sixty, David Fafita on one million, Jesse Bromwich on uh one million and fifty thousand, uh Tom Travoyvic on one point one, James Tedesco on one point one, Callum Ponger on one point one, Ben Hunt on one point one. Daly Cherry Evans on 1.2, and now Nathan Cleary on 1.3. So as you go through this list, you realise, okay, uh, Brooks, Fafita, um, Ponga, and Ben Hunt are all in clubs that – so four of the top ten are in clubs that will not make the top eight this year. And I think Ponga has only played 14 games this season, to which he only finished seven. Obviously, Tom or Trevojevic is also out, and he's been out for most of the season. David Fafita comes off the bench. <laughs> um, 
And Luke Brooks is like, seems like he shopped around every other week, right? So this top 10, like it's kind of showing like there's a, there's a bit of a trend in the NRL that we sort of speculate on our best players. And, you know, if you are a, uh, you know, if you're like a, I mean, if you're like a Jerome Luai, for example, or, you know, you're a, um, uh, sorry, a Cody Walker, um, even an Adam Reynolds, right? You know, you're sort of the best player in your team and you're a, a guy that's actually helping the team succeed. A Cameron Munster, right, even, right? But you're not on the big bucks yet. <laughs> kind of interesting, right, Dr. T? Yeah, it's a, it's fascinating when you look at... Um... When you look at things in this way, you definitely do get to see, uh, uh, I guess, when you look at anything to do with highest paid players, it, what comes to mind is, does this match at all people's views about who are the best players? And I don't know if it does, looking at the, mm. the top 10 list in particular, it's especially talking about the top end of the scale, because generally... You know, as you go further down, you're going to have, you know, debate about, you know, I mean, no one's debating in rugby league is whether my 20th best player is equivalent to your 20th best player. It's not, it's usually just about who's the best, who's the second best, third best, whatever. Uh, I thought I'd do a bit of research in comparison. And if I looked at soccer, who are the 10 highest paid players just this year in 2022? So I'll start with. I'll start with the number one and go down. And I won't mm-hmm. bother with the numbers, but I'll just tell you the num- the names. Number one, L- Lionel Messi. Number two, Neymar Jr. Number three, Cristiano Ronaldo. Number four, uh, actually, that doesn't look right. Andres Iniesta, that's an unbelievable. Five, Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> some of these names, and Mbappe, number six, etc., etc. Paul Pogba, Robert Lewandowski. Gareth Bale, and then round up the top 10 is Eden Hazard. Now, especially those top three players, Mm. uh, I would say, you know, everyone knows who they are. Messi, Neymar Jr., Ronaldo. In fact, for for many kind of years have been considered the best players in, in the game. And in a game that's where you've got multiple professional leagues, uh, multiple million dollar, you know, invest billion dollar investments. You know, there's a lot more variability, is what I'm saying in in soccer in terms of where you could get paid a mozza. Um, and yet, still, if you look at the highest paid players, it is consistently the best, the best, the best of the best. Now, if I'm looking at this top ten in league, you've got. Cleary at number one, Daily Cherry Evans at number two, closely followed by Ben Hunt at number three. Then we've got Kalen Ponga, James Tedesco, Trebojevic. And then you hear Jesse Bromwich, David Fafita, Luke Brooks, Mitchell Moses. Um, now, <laughs> I'm looking at that top five at least, and I'm thinking, where's Jason Taumalolo? who yeah. well, is probably the most important player for his club. Yeah. Where well, he, he is, yeah. He, he's further down on the list because I think he's the like in the 900s, like the 950s or the 
Yeah. So he's close. So he's, he's he's near the top ten. I'm not. So again, I'm not necessarily saying oh he's way down. But if you were to say Tish, who are the most important players in the game? Who are the mm. best players in the game? And I know that it's in league. I think we tend to sort of uh, we tend to change who the best player is depending on you know the the blowing of the wind. Whereas in soccer, yeah. you know, it's not like. A, a player has a good game and all of a sudden he's better than Messi. That's not the way people think of this as the most valuable player in the game. Why do we why do we do this in league? Why do we yeah. not have players that are just like consistently, we think, geez, because I'm thinking, so for example, Cameron Munster, how he's not in a top 10, I'll never know. And I know that yeah. he's been underpaid at the moment, but... You know, so whoever his manager is needs to be sacked because uh, he should be capitalizing. Brayton and Anastar. Did you know? <laughs> Brayton and Anastar yeah. is uh, yeah, but Well, he should be sacked because he <laughs> has not done you know, like if you're if you're if you're gonna be if you're gonna sell your house and your real estate agent's job is to get you the best amount of money, the most amount of money. And similarly, an agent's job is really just to make the most money for your um, and, and get the best outcome for your client and for yourself. Surely you get commission out of it as well. So in my mind, Cameron Munster and Cleary have both been, and you know, I'd put maybe Cherry Evans up there as three of the best players. Tedesco is close. So fair enough. He's number five. He's close enough. Um Tommy Trevojevic, similarly, in the same conversation. Jesse Bromwich, where does that come from? <laughs> how is he How is he making almost as much money as Tommy Turbo? That, to me, makes no sense. Even if you think, well, maybe he's got such a good manager that negotiated a great deal a while ago, Jesse Bromwich wouldn't even be in the top five players in, at the Storm, I would think. How is he getting mm. – so, anyway, that's just my opinion, but – so this has raised, you know, Buzz Ross yeah. Rossfield has raised some very interesting talking points. And, mm, definitely, uh, yeah, very. And very and, and look on zero tackle, uh, you could actually see the top one hundred um, without going to Delhi Telegraph. But uh, you go down. Look, look, I think with the top five, I'll say this right. You know, I think Cleary and Daly Cherry Evans uh, one and two, they're both the Origin halves for their respective states. Makes sense. Ben Hunt, well, he was man of the match for Origin three, right? And you know he kind of won Queensland the game, so and he's definitely the best player for his club. So you can sort of see that Ponga. I think that's more of a potential thing, but he can be the potentially one of the greatest. And then obviously Tedesco is is there. So I think I think that is like I think those players there can sort of fit in. But then as you sort of go down the list, there is like there is like some crazy. Uh, thoughts here, right? Like, so this year on their roster, do you know who the highest paid uh, Cronulla Shark is, Dr. T? Um, okay, so based on what I've seen, it would have to be someone who negotiated a deal recently. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess it's Nico Hines. No. No? Okay. It, it is It is Andrew Fafita. <laughs> What? On 8.50, yeah. A colonic to zero tackle, right? I don't know where Nico Hines is at. I haven't seen his um, – I haven't I haven't seen him yet in the top 50 even, actually. Um, but I did see Fanukin in there. So, yeah. And then so – th- so there you sort of look at it like that, you know. Um, 
you know, uh, like you know, Nico Hines has been very, very valuable, but he's only on 600k this year and 600k next year, where they've played Dale for Newcomb 750k, a player that is suspended because you know, because uh, <laughs> he forgot that shoulder tackles a shoulder tackle. I don't know what, why, but Andrew for Federer on 850 kind of like yeah, like. It kind of amazes you, sort of thing, you know, when, when something, when you see it like that, you know. So, um, you know, a Jack Whiten, uh, well, I suppose Jack Whiten is the best play for uh, Canberra on 900 there. So that sort of makes sense. I think, um, you know, you've got Kiri on about 850 at the Roosters. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. You sort of see a lot of the um, clubs not in the top eight have one or two players that are sort of highly pay- paid as well. So, you know, it's it, it it's it's interesting that way too as well when you consider that, you know, part of the whole reason of having a salary cap is to try and even up the squads. But, um, yeah, but the common sense kind of goes out the window a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, look, I look. I'm thinking, like I said earlier. If you look at a, t- a top ten like that, and you don't see Tamalolo, you don't see Latrell Mitchell. Yep. You know, you kind of ask questions, and you're thinking, "What is going on here?" Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and let's just quickly talk about Latrell Mitchell because remember when he signed his contract over South, there was like uh, a a bit of a a bit of a stain on him for being ultra greedy, leaving the Roosters, right? But the reality is he's signed a contract where he's not in the top 10 and clearly on his ability and, you know, his X factor. I mean, he's definitely one of the top 10 players in the NRL, right? Um, so in many ways, you think he's he's actually done the rabbit as a service by not being as highly demanding uh, as much as the salary as some of these other players are demanding. <laughs> um so, yes, I, I, it kind of sort of, you know, when you look at it from that context, you know, I don't think he's got an overly greedy contract. No, exactly, exactly. But uh, but that's how it's perceived in the media, right? It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Very, very strange. But look, look, the upshot of all this is uh, something's not right in <laughs> the way players are being paid. Uh, and And I wonder whether, you know, the system itself is kind of, doesn't necessarily reward the better players, and and maybe uh, look, maybe that's uh, that's something to think about. But Buzz, look, you've done a good service in uh, updating our data on uh, <laughs> and our understanding on who, because I, you know, the other thing is there's similar articles come out every like six months, and they have vastly different names in that top ten. So, because mm. I remember seeing something earlier in the year where Tamalolo was in the top 10 and I thought nothing of it. But then I did think, how is Ben Hunt up there in the top? Like that, that was, yeah, again, that was pre-redemption at at origin level. You know, he was mm. definitely, you know, I don't think Ben Hunt has shown the value that, that um, you know, to be worthy of that, even though he uh, was man of the match or, or you know, in that final state of origin game, I think for the for his club hasn't really delivered as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, interesting. But thanks, Buzz, for uh, raising that. But let's move on to our final tackle, the tips.
So we did pretty terribly last week. <laughs> Three yeah. out of eight. So don't listen to us. We just went through a road to the finals. We have no idea what we're talking about. Look, it means that you are still three ahead of me. 123 plays 120 for the season thus far, which is probably terrible compared to <laughs> to most other pundits. But, you know, look, it is what it is. Let's get into round 23. We've got some very, very interesting matches lined up. And as we get to that final round, every single match becomes more and more important, I think, in, in shaping that top eight. There are still teams with a chance of making it uh, and still some things to, to happen. So let's go through it. South Sydney versus Penrith. Uh, I think based on what I saw, I think the Rabbitohs are specials for this one. Oh, look, I'm going to tip the Panthers. Oh, well, there you go. Cowboys versus Warriors. I think the Cowboys will bounce back um, and the Warriors mm. haven't really been testing too many teams this year. Yeah, uh, can we call this the Todd Payton Cup? I'm going to tip the Cowboys. <laughs> All right, Broncos and Storm, Brisbane v Melbourne should be a good one. Um, look, I don't know. This is the Friday night main game on on television. Oh, I'm a bit torn here, Tish, because mm. a Broncos victory makes it harder for my Eels to get into the top four, and so does a Melbourne Storm victory. <laughs> so I don't know what to say. Mm. I I'm going to tip the Broncos. I think I think that the Storm, uh, you know, maybe we're lucky against a depleted Panthers, and I think the Broncos are shaping up for a tilt at uh, at the top four and beyond. So I'm tipping the Broncos. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Storm, but I but I don't know how it's this game's going to go, and it's two teams that that sort of are not really. I mean, this is a perfect grand final for Suncorp, really. Um, <laughs> you know, like two exactly, two, yeah. It'll be a big blockbuster match, and in fact, the the cons, like I said, the stakes are really high for this one because either team loses and they they they're going to lose ground to a bunch of other teams aiming for that top four spot. So, and it really this is kind of make or break for the Storm. If they can win this one, they they will be breathe a bit easier. Uh, and and be assured of that top four spot. And we did say that you'd want to get into number four position, actually, because that position will ensure that you get to uh, fend off the uh, the Panthers uh, in the first game of the finals, and then you won't meet them again until uh, the grand final. And if they're fully fully back from uh, and healthy, um, that's when you don't want to meet them. So whoever is going to get that coveted fourth spot. Is uh and it could be the storm. So yep. All right, eels and bulldogs. I am tipping the eels to bounce back. Based on what's happened this year, I'm going to tip the bulldogs. Sorry, Doctor T. <laughs> oh no, no, you're being professional. That's all right. Being objective. Um, the battle of the beaches, Manly versus Cronulla. I'm tipping Cronulla. Yeah, I'm going to tip the sharks as well. Uh, but should be a good game that one. All right, Tigers. Oh, sorry, uh, Roosters versus Tigers at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I'm tipping the Roosters for this one, and it yeah, I'm going to the only one they win uh, for the rest of the year. Oh, okay. Look, I'm going to tip the Roosters too. I think the Tigers, uh, their hearts aren't in it anymore. <laughs> There's nothing else to blame for now. Uh, well, Jackson Hastings is gone, so his leg's not in it either. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, Dragons versus Titans. Uh, 
Look, not much to play for here for either team, but I think the Dragons will win this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Dragons as well at, uh, uh, you know, Win Stadium. All right. Finally, the Knights versus the Raiders. I think given what the Knights have been through this week with the uh, Kalimponga situation, I think their head will be completely out of it and the Raiders will demolish them. Yeah. Uh, keeping their hopes alive for a top eight spot. Yeah, look, I think the Raiders, they need to win this game. So I think they're going to be ready and they're one of these teams. You don't want to meet them when they're angry, right? Um, Especially so, Ricky Stewart. No. Yeah, Ricky Stewart is back, you know, coaching this week. So, so um I'm sure he's freshened up with lots of great ideas and uh, can't wait for the press conference after his <laughs> hiatus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I would recommend the Canberra Raiders um, officials bring some duct tape <laughs> to put over Ricky Stewart's mouth so he doesn't say anything uh, and cause more fines to, uh, you know, leave their, their coffers. Look, Tish, that's the tips and that is the podcast for today. Thank you very much. We had a... A really good one, good discussion there about some very important issues in the game. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Tish, over to you to wrap this up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. 